COVID-19 pandemic, now in its second tragic year despite availability of vaccines, is exacerbating a crisis that took root long ago. Spread of this deadly virus into every corner of the country has sparked economic upheaval that places more Americans at risk of being homeless. A surge in evictions during 2020 did prompt a federal order to temporarily halt such ousters, enabling many Americans to stay in a home. But the pandemic created poignant challenges for those already without a fixed residence. Resources for the homeless were strained as that population expanded. Some shelters had to close. Basic housing costs soared. Joseph Wrights helped start Family Promise of Lawrence more than a decade ago to help families with kids with shelter, food, counseling, and training with the goal of getting those people permanently housed with jobs. Prior to the pandemic, Family Promise served about two dozen families. Mr. Wrights, welcome to the podcast. But my first question is, how has that number changed during the pandemic? At one point, we were serving four times as many people as we served before the pandemic. We went from 21 families in January of 2020 to 87 families uh, a couple of months ago. Mm -hmm. And that was included, the 87 families included 170 kids from basically zero to 16. So it, it was a huge impact. For Family Promise itself. But For Family Promise. But also suggests the scope of, of the issue. Yeah, we're talking about Lawrence, Kansas. We're not talking about Kansas City. I have no idea what the problems are over there, but... Well, you you would imagine that some of them would parallel each other. Oh, sure. When the economy suffers anywhere. Yeah. um, All right, so can you help our uh, consumers of Kansas Reflector News understand the consequences, generally, of the state and federal pandemic relief programs falling short in terms of the homeless? What does it mean that uh, the needs of the homeless uh, perhaps have not been met? It's very difficult for homeless people to work their way out of it. Um, we've been very successful in working with homeless families with children, and four out of five families that join Family Promise graduate. By graduate, I mean they move into their own housing with enough resources, including money and training, to stay there. So out of the four out of five families that that are successful, 90% of them are still housed after two years, and then we stop keeping track of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, The problem right now is uh, with four times as many families, we cannot provide them with the counseling and training that we used to. We're just keeping them alive. We're just keeping them in shelter with food. And if they have dire needs, uh, they can come to us. But we can't. We only have a staff of five permanent people. We can't possibly provide them with the kind of training and, and uh, assistance that they need, particularly because our, our programs are sort of tailored to each to each families' particular needs, which are different in, in some respects than, than others. All of them need some help with uh, managing money. Right. One, one of the things I've learned over the years is that if you look at uh, three different strata of, of uh, the population, rich people's approach to money is to preserve it. and middle-class people like us, our job is to manage it 
and for people who are in poverty, it's spend it. So they have to, they, we have to help them learn to move from spending every cent that they get their hands on into actually managing their money and planning ahead, which is, for a lot of them, have never had a, even had a bank account. It's, that's a very tough thing to do, but, mm-hmm. they learn, but they can learn it. I was thinking that the federal and state government has dished out millions and billions of dollars. Do you think the homeless were uh, very high on the priority list of any of those people dispersing that money? I, no, I don't, and I, I don't understand why they would be, because homeless people are unreliable voters if they do vote, and their kids certainly don't vote. So homeless families with children are on the bottom of the chart in terms of, of getting actual relief from from a political perspective, mm-hmm. from the standpoint of, of nonprofits like ours, they're they're much more important. But to but the politicians who distribute the money, there are a lot of other constituencies that they're going to serve before homeless people, for sure. And not a lot of political contributions from the homeless. So <laughs> right. Congress set, did set up a rent assistance program. It funneled money through the states, and I think Kansas had well above $150 million in a rental assistance program. Um, that's a lot of cash. Um, I, I just have to assume that not much of it found its way to the homeless people. Is, is that right? As of uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Kansas had, in fact, received $300 million in rental assistance and distributed $30 million, 10%. So there's $270 million sitting there to be distributed, and it, it's not getting out to the people who need it. Was the program designed to help people who have a home but need to stay in it? Yes. But not to help people who are, who are not in a home and are aspiring to have one. No, it doesn't. It doesn't address the needs of the people who are already homeless. It's mm-hmm. it's an attempt to try to keep people who are housed housed, but uh, which is a good thing to do because I have no idea where we're going to put more homeless families. We're we're stressed out in every way we can be. So you're talking about Lawrence. There's a housing shortage anyway. Over That's there. correct, and and the effects of uh, of not getting rental assistance are that uh, we're going to see a wave of homeless people, homeless families, uh, by the next month for sure. I, I don't know where they're going to go. I have no idea where they're going to go. Sort uh, of a side question here. Obviously, the 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 pure homeless were not beneficiaries of this rent assistance, but perhaps there's others that could have benefited from all of this money. Is it half-hearted marketing? Is it application forms that are bewildering? What's going on? It's both of those. Uh, The people who designed the the application forms were obviously out of touch with with the realities of people who are living on the margin, and it's very difficult for them to fill out the forms, to understand what they need to do to get the documentation they need to prove that they're not trying to defraud the government. And so we've had to train our our staff to uh, help people who are who come to us who are still marginally housed to figure out how to get a get that money, mm-hmm. and it it takes time. And we had to train our people to do it. It it shouldn't be 
that you have to train professional people to help people who are living on the margin anyway, where we're getting by every day is a difficult thing to learn how to fill out federal forms. And the second thing is people didn't know about it. I mean, it just didn't get advertised. They put some stuff in the paper, but lots of people don't read the newspaper anymore, surprise. Yeah, sadly, I'm, I'm, I'm very aware of that fact. <laughs> and, and, uh, fewer every day, but, but I could see how somebody who's prioritizing their expenditures and is homeless isn't going to trot down to the grocery store and pick up a copy of the Sunday New York Times. I, I think exactly. that's probably true. Right. Or, or even the Lawrence Journal World. I mean, they're just, they're not big newspaper readers anyway. They, mm -hmm. so, uh, it, so the word didn't get out. I didn't even know that, the, that that much money had been available for so many months. I knew that there was money out there, but I didn't know there was that much available. And where this applies to the homeless is there were probably people who were hanging on by their fingernails oh, yeah, in sure. apartments, we'll say, yeah. and then couldn't make their uh, uh, their payments, their monthly payments, and became homeless. Right. Right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. The, the other part... And, and so and, they, maybe they could have qualified for some of this aid. And some of the people who were who had gone through the program, who were capable of moving into housing, couldn't do it because the 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 money the money just wasn't there for them, or the the uh, the apartments or rental houses weren't there either. Mm -hmm. I mean, part of the problem is lack. Well, probably the major problem is lack of affordable housing, and so uh, as uh, as people get evicted, um, renters, uh, uh, landlords are are going to rent to people who can pay. And in Lawrence, the problem is exacerbated by the fact that it's a college town, and three college students can get together and afford to pay a lot more money than a homeless family. So, yeah. the price of rentals goes up. In Lawrence, the the housing shortage has caused the price of houses to accelerate. I think I read in the paper today they were up 30% or something like that. And uh, so when the price of houses goes up, then people who are renting are not going to get a house. So, the, so that puts upward pressure on rental prices. Sure. And now people that used to be able to afford to rent can't even afford to rent. Yeah, it is a bottleneck. Help me help me understand. Was there a more there was a state and maybe a federal moratorium on uh, evictions? Yes, a federal and moratorium. Federal, okay. And so, where are we at with that? I know it's been litigated a bit. Uh, the Supreme Court has said it it's unconstitutional, mm -hmm. and so uh, as of October fourth, I believe it it people can start being evicted. So you're 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 suggesting that there's a tidal wave coming? Well, I. I don't know. I don't know where. I don't know. It, that's something nobody knows. That's mm -hmm. one of those questions that you can say, God only knows, because who knows the, the, the after effects and the, and the unanticipated consequences of decisions that people make have not been well thought out. And so uh, here's another another problem that's coming up. There are companies now, national, nationwide companies, real estate companies, who are going around buying up distressed rental properties and converting them into, into single-family houses because the housing market is tight and, and people are 
looking for houses. Uh, and so if, if, if you can take a, a, a rental house, which in sometimes in, in places like Lawrence's is a one person renting out a couple of, of rooms in their house just to make, make ends meet. Now they, they can't afford to continue to pay their mortgage because they're not getting any funds. And so they, they, they sell the property at a distressed rate and these companies buy them up and put some money into them to refurbish them and sell them as single family houses. It's, it's a great business model. It's a tragic social model. Mm-hmm. It's another case of <clears throat> people in need being exploited uh, for other people's gains, and, and and that's one of the things that I, I I looked at when the whole pandemic struck, uh, trying to get a big picture on, uh, approach on it. It seemed to me that this was one of the cases in which worldwide people were faced with other people who were really in need of help and they had the choice of either helping them or exploiting them and or ignoring them and the exploitation and, and indifference has won the day unfortunately. You come at this issue from the perspective of a retired university professor of business. You were at the University of Kansas for uh, 30 something years? Well, I taught for 37 years, but only 18 at Kansas. I came okay. to Kansas from other places. Very good. Uh, and, and you specialized in ethics and business ethics, and you also worked as a chief executive of Heartland Medical Clinic in Lawrence that served the uninsured and underinsured. It's hard to imagine when back in those days you would have imagined being part of a public health pandemic that worsened the state's homeless problem. No, there was no way anybody could anticipate that. Mm-hmm. You've written to federal and state politicians raising an alarm. What kind of response did you get? None. I, I mean, I got, I, I wrote, and I'm, I write pretty well. I'm a fairly persuasive person. I have written uh, state politicians. I've written federal politicians. I've written the governor, and I have had zero response, except uh, Representative Davids, who is my representative. In uh, Congress, Sharice Davids. In Congress, yes. yeah, right. Uh, has sent me two boilerplate responses that had nothing to do with this problem. It was just, <laughs> okay. It's just, uh, here's, here's, the, uh, here's the great thing that's going to happen with the trillion or three trillion dollar program. Mm-hmm. But it has nothing to do, I mean, it completely ignored the, I, I thought if, if anybody would be sensitive to the plight of homeless people, would she would be it. Sharice Davis, but, a Democrat who represents uh, Johnson and Wyandotte counties primarily. Right, right. Did and you the, expect more from these folks? Yeah, I expected at least a, a, a thoughtful reply, but I mean, I haven't heard anything. Do you think it's the problem is too difficult to it's fold not, into a soundbite so it's not dealt with? I don't, I don't know how difficult it is to say, oh, we recognize the problem, we're trying to do something about it. I mean, it, it, it didn't even get that kind of response. So it's, it's clear to me that logically two of the problems are indifference mm-hmm. and because there's no sense of urgency. I can't even stir up a sense. I can't even get people to return calls. They're just not interested in the fact that Kansas is sitting on $270 million 
that could go to rental assistance to help landlords maintain their rental properties and occupants to stay there. Sort of like government has these, uh, they could be rescuers, but they're in fact sitting on the life preservers. Exactly. And, and you know, for one t- once in the state's history, we have a looming disaster, but we have the funds on hand to take care of it. And they're not being used. What are they waiting for? Unless, and and it, the one of the arguments is, well, you know, it's it's like the the problem with unemployment checks last year, where we discriminated, distra- demonstrated our incompetence in dealing out federal funds, where people I, I saw a guy on TV the other day who said he's still waiting eight months after he applied for his unemployment benefits from the state of Kansas, he's still waiting to get him, and he still gets uh, stiffed when mm-hmm. he when he calls people. Hmm. So, so indifference, incompetence, uh, yeah. perhaps, uh, is there a third reason? I'm thinking about... I, I'm just speculating on this. I, 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 that may be all it is, but uh, on the other hand, uh, Kansas and lots of other states have all kinds of needs that are related to uh, the pandemic, and if at some point in time they go back to whoever makes these decisions at the federal government and said, look, we tried as hard as we can, but we've still got $200 million in rental assistance funds. Can we use them from something else? Huh? And obviously the feds are playing with other people's money, so they'll say, well, that's fine. And mm-hmm. it, there's precedence for this. Well, it seems like the state has a lot of authority to shift gears and move dollars where they want. There's an idea now that they're going to take 50 million bucks and pay uh, nurses, but fine-tune the program so that uh, only nurses working in health uh, companies that don't mandate vaccinations might get the money. So if you can, you can get into the fine print of that, perhaps they can get into the fine print of this rental assistance program and broaden the application of it? Oh, sure you can. And particularly because uh, one thing I've learned in in the last 13 years is that homeless people are basically powerless. Uh, They're not a united front. There's no uh, national organization of of homeless people. Uh, They're not represented. Uh, They're they're not... a typical union, for example, would get dues, but homeless people can't pay dues to represent them, so they right. don't have that. They don't have any representation. They don't have any influence. And not only that, they don't have any protection that other other uh, people might have. I mean, you're now faced with uh, federal laws that prevent you from discriminating against people for all kinds of reasons, color and sex and origin and mm-hmm. religion and all that, which is fine. You can discriminate against homeless people. You can tell a homeless person, I don't want you coming in my in my establishment. Mm. You can mm. tell them you're out. You can, uh, they've got no protections at all. They're, they're the most vulnerable people in, in our society right now. And the problem is... There are going to be a lot more of them, and I know that that lots of people, in particularly in Lawrence, when I first started looking at this problem, were of the opinion that the homeless population was represented by 
the chronically homeless downtown who were panhandlers. But when they did a census in Lawrence uh, several years ago, they, they discovered that half of the homeless people in Lawrence were homeless families with children. And they had no idea how to address that problem. That's why I took it on, because they were going to go after the chronically homeless. And some of whom refuse to be housed. They, don't, they, they enjoy the freedom. They don't want to be. They'll put their lives at risk in the cold to stay out. That's not true with homeless families with kids. You're making a good point here. Not all of us have experienced homelessness. But, so help us understand what it looks like. Let's start with some basics. Do you think people want to be homeless for the most part? Oh, for the most part, no. But there are people who do want to be homeless and, and refuse help. But mm -hmm. homeless families with children are not that. No parent wants their children to be homeless. I'll guarantee you that. I, and uh, the, the children certainly don't want to be homeless. I mean, they're embarrassed by it. When I first started looking at this, I went around to the public schools in Lawrence and asked them about the homeless children problem, and they said, yes, we have homeless children, and it takes us three or four months into the school year to find out who they are because they hide it so well. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a great stigma to be, to be homeless, whether you're a child or, or a parent. Well, kids can be pretty brutal. Well, yeah, and so the kids do everything they can do to, to hide mm -hmm. the fact that they are homeless. All right. So do you think homeless adults, how eager are they to do, take the necessary steps with your organization, Family Promise, to secure housing and jobs? Do you get high cooperation? Is there reluctance? Uh, once they get in a the program, there are very few of them who say this is not for me. Uh, they, they, generally want to, they generally want to take their kids off the streets and you know, that's whether it's a single parent or... It does make the argument that sustained assistance uh, from the right people can work. It can work. Sure. Well, yeah, that, that was the question that people had in Lawrence. Well, you can't do anything for these folks anyway. But, in fact, mm -hmm. we've demonstrated over 13 years that they are capable within a very short period of time. It takes the average family about 10 weeks to go through our program, and they're ready to go out on their own. It doesn't take a lot if they're if they're willing to do what it takes right. and to follow our guidance. And we have some pretty strict standards, and and we we set it up so that every family achieves one step on the process and then goes on to another step. They don't, we don't let them uh, skip know, run, to the end. Run in place? No, they can't do that. So, that so, they're, so, they're, so they're ready to go out. So the success rate is, but, but it's not just us, it's nationally. Family Promise is in 42 states and has over 200 affiliates. And, and it, it's the same success rate all over. Four out of five families come in to graduate and 90% and of them are still housed after a couple of years. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good oh, mark. Well, good. Think about what... If this was a government-run program, it, it wouldn't work. It might be less successful. It wouldn't work, <laughs> and it would be way more expensive. Uh-huh. I mean, sure. I, when I started this in Lawrence, I told uh, the city the city council, I said, we're going we're gonna to take care of this problem, and we won't ask you for a dime. 
Well, of course they were willing. Oh, that's just great. Okay, and we didn't think it could happen, but it did. We've never asked the city for any money. So when I think about homeless people, and the tr- it's traumatic. We'll we'll just take that on faith that it is. Are there differences between the trauma of adults and children? You mentioned children hide it, but can is there a differentiation, or or are everybody in the family is kind of feeling the same things? What we've learned is that all everybody in the family is going to be traumatized. Uh, and so we have to. We've had to learn how to deal with that kind of trauma. Uh, you know, you think of the of the pressures of of a child who is wondering if they're going to sleep under a roof tonight, and if they're going to get fed, mm-hmm. and then having to deal with school. How do I get to school? And where do I do my homework? And I can't have an iPad because some. I mean. The pressures on the children are really great, and so yeah, they're all traumatized. But beyond that, what we learned is that our staff get secondary trauma from de- dealing with all these people who are facing these terrible conditions. And so we've had to uh, uh, figure out ways to allow our staff to take some time out to or or get some counseling themselves to to be able to get through and go back and be effective uh, Mm -hmm. counselors. I certainly think that's useful. All right, before we close out, I'm going to ask you a a two-part question. Just, let's say in the pandemic, you could wave a magic wand. What do you want Kansas to do in terms of the homeless? And then let's step beyond the pandemic and look at it more long-term. So first off, uh, how would you like Kansas to respond to the homeless right now in the middle of this pandemic? I, I I don't know what they could do to help the people who are already homeless. It's just it's prevent more people from becoming homeless. And as a matter of fact, one of the things that are in our mission that we've shifted over the years is realizing how hard it is to serve all of the homeless families. We've shifted to uh, spending a considerable resources and time on trying to prevent people from becoming homeless in the first place. Mm-hmm. So uh, well, that would touch upon this rental assistance absolutely program. Yeah. If if they would, uh, you know, open the faucet a little bit wider, perhaps that would be something that could benefit people during the pandemic. Well, absolutely, and uh, because it's just going to put more pressures, uh, more homeless families are going to put more pressures on all the organizations Social. that are serving them anyway. Uh, so, uh, Some of which that have been affected by the pandemic yeah. in terms of having yeah. the tempor- shelters temporarily closing or having limited uh, space available, different, yeah. different food banks suffering and yeah. so forth. Long term, uh, yeah. the answer is affordable housing. We just have to have ways for people who can afford uh, to rent an apartment or, or rent a house. And Lawrence is like about a lot of other places. Affordable housing is not being built. Developers have found out that you can make a lot more money by taking a, a half acre, an acre of property and putting a nice single family house on there and selling it for a million dollars than you can otherwise. But somehow we've got to address that question because uh, housing is not getting more affordable in Lawrence or anywhere. Uh, I've wondered about the tiny home movement, whether you could have uh, not necessarily a trailer park, but uh, a little neighborhood of tiny homes, you know, maybe as transitional housing. Yeah, that's a possibility. 
we got, I mean, there's a lot of, there are a lot of very smart people out there who are smarter than I am and more innovative. And, and there are ways to figure this out. How mm-hmm. to get, I mean, if you know what the objective is, it's a lot easier to get there if you, than if you don't. And I think the objective is to create more affordable housing. Okay. And so, given that, there are, uh, if we can figure out how to fly to Mars, <laughs> or, uh, as, as we are doing now, we can certainly solve this problem. It's just a matter of putting brains and resources to addressing the problem. But the problem is that it's not a high-priority problem because they're not voters mm-hmm. and they're not customers. So they, they do fall through the cracks. They, they do fall through the cracks. And, and the families that do go through our program are, are, are really heroic. I mean, I, I, when I was growing up, I was in the military and I played professional sports. So all my heroes were either military heroes or sports figures. Now my, my heroes are homeless families because they buck incredible odds. They have to swallow their pride to come to us and say, we can't do it on our own. We need help. It's particularly hard for fathers. It's very hard for a father to admit, I can't support my family without outside help. But they do it, and then they stick through it, and they get through the program and and become successful. Many of our, our graduates come back to help other graduates, and uh, we have three of our former uh, guests on our board now, so that as board members, we get a a real good perspective on what we're trying to do from the standpoint of the people we're trying to serve and don't make stupid mistakes by doing something we think is good for them and in fact it's not good not for practical them. yeah excellent well you've got a you've got your uh, hands full here i want to thank joseph wrights of family promise of lawrence for sharing your insights in to the homeless population during the pandemic i'm tim carpenter thanks for listening to the kansas reflector 